Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, I would like to invite you to stay with me. It's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a little bit of education, and it's all done with no manipulation because we don't have hidden agendas and we're not trying to coerce you into doing anything. It's not our intention to solicit money or to sell you something or to have you join something. We just are here for one reason only, and that's to give you accurate information. My prayer is the information will help you orient and adjust to the plan of God. And that's why I try to verify it. I try to identify it, let you know what the plan consists of. And I thank you for giving me a few moments of your time. The Flot Line is heard across the United States on many shows, many stations, and it's my prayer that we'll be able to grow in the future. But as we grow from time to time, we have to remind people of certain things. And I'm reminded of the old days of football practice when we would do certain drills over and over and over again, and we would sometimes question the coach why we had to run that play again, why we had to do that drill again. And he would say something like, you're going to do it till you can do it in your sleep. Because he knew if we could do it in practice, then we could do it in the game. If you take a drill sergeant in the military, he's going to teach his troops to march over and over and over again through repetition. Repetition means doing the same thing again and again and again. And repetition is good because repetition stops the rate of forgetting from exceeding the rate of learning. Can you hear that? The rate of learning must be greater than the rate of forgetting or then we lose ground. And so repetition is important. And just like football, just like the military, just like anything else, in studying the Word of God, repetition is important. Repetition. My pastor used to tell me years ago, repetition, repetition, repetition. That was the way he would growl it out at me. And that meant I'm going to teach it until you can say it in your sleep, till you can learn it and know it and apply it into your life. And so I want to do some repetition with you today. You remember the show is called The Flot Line, F-L-O-T, and that stands for the Forward Line of Troops. You know we're trying to give you a military analogy, Forward Line of Troops, that's a military term, that's a uh, acronym for Forward Line of Troops. We're trying to give you a military analogy of how the Christian life works. I'm trying to show you that if you can learn at least 10 unique problem-solving devices that we're teaching on this radio show, then you will be able to stop the outside sources of adversity before they become the inside source of stress. I've said repeatedly that adversity is inevitable and stress is optional. The reason is adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress, on the other hand, is what you do to yourself. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, if in fact you are, you never have to have any stress. Now, there's no way you can live without having adversity. We do live in the devil's world, and there is opposition. 
And the same thing that our Lord Jesus Christ faced on the cross, we face as well when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. And so we face opposition, satanic opposition, but we also face our own self. Like Pogo, the little cartoon character said, we have met the enemy and it's us. Yes, we have a sin nature. Yes, we make bad decisions. We make bad decisions in regards to our health, in regards to our finances, in regards to our personal life and personal situations and friends and family. And all of these bad decisions can come back to haunt us. And so bad decisions limit future options. We have a little bumper sticker that says that bad decisions limit future options. And for a Christian, it's imperative that he remember that statement because we have the capability to destroy ourselves. We have the capability to allow the sin nature to take control of our lives so that we wound up being disqualified for service and we wind up being battlefield casualties in God's plan. No, we don't lose our salvation. No, God doesn't say, all right, I want it back now. You let me down. I know you were a Christian for a few years, but you let me down, so now I want it back. God does not take our salvation back. The Bible is very clear about that. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus Christ made it clear in John 10, 28 and 29, and 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even if we believe not, yet God still abides faithful because he cannot deny himself. But what happens is that we can get involved in sin and we can allow ourselves to be taken out of the game. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 talks about those whom God loves, he disciplines. Sometimes he has to scourge us with a whip. And discipline is associated with unconfessed sin. So let's start off for a minute by talking about sin. S-I-N, sin, you know, drinking, dancing, gambling, honky-tonking. I mean, that's what some people think it is. Some people think that the only sins are the lascivious sins, the crazy sins, the drunkards and the... Uh, womanizers and the gamblers and the whatevers. But sin comes in a lot of different ways. You know, it was the religious crowd that crucified our Lord Jesus Christ, and they did not think they had any sin until the Lord Jesus Christ confronted them in the book of John, chapter 8, and he said, those of you without sin, you can throw the first stone at this lady whom you've accused of adultery. And, of course, no stones were thrown. They all left. And so, yes, the worst sinners of all can be the religious, self-righteous community. And the reason is they will kill you and think they're doing God a favor. This has been going on for centuries, and it's even going on today in terrorist organizations who think they're serving God by killing infidels. Well, by the way, you are an infidel if you're an American and if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sin can be very subtle. Yes, it can be something we think. Sin can be a mental attitude sin, something that we think in our mind. Most people never associate, and never associate worrying with sin, but it is a sin. Most people never associate jealousy 
as a sin or bitterness as a sin or implacability as a sin. Arrogance is the root emotional sin of nearly everything we do. And so all sin starts with something that we think. Every decision we make starts with a thought. And that thought, once it leaves the brain, that thought goes to an attitude. And then once the attitude is taken root, it goes to an action. And there is where sin comes in. The thought begins, the attitude is set in, and the action is taken. And so all sin starts with what we think. And this is where we make a decision. We decide yes or no. No one makes us sin. No one forces us to sin. God is a gentleman, and he gives us a choice. And he gave us something called a volition. It's part of the makeup of our soul. Volition is the freedom to choose. Thus, we have the right to choose. We can choose to believe in Christ. We can choose to reject Christ. We can choose to obey God. We can choose to disobey God. We are victims of our decisions, not our environment, not our circumstances, our decisions. Thus, we decide to sin. And so one sin can be something that we think. It's a mental attitude sin. Another sin can be something that we say. And that would be considered, the Bible talks about it in James, the sin of the tongue. Slander, gossip, maligning, criticizing, lying, backbiting. These are all sins of the tongue. And by the way, if you happen to hear the last couple of radio shows that I did concerning seven sins that God hates, three of them were mental attitude sins, three of them were sins of the tongue, and one of them was an overt sin called murder. And so sins of the tongue are very serious sins. And then there is also sins that we do, overt sins, such as stealing, fornicating, adultery, cheating. And so you see, we can sin in a lot of different ways. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say you went to the store and you gave the clerk at the checkout counter a $20 bill, and your bill came to $12 and some odd cents. And then instead of giving you change for your 20, she gives you change for a 50. Now, do you immediately stop her and say, young lady, you've given me too much money? Or do you consider it to be your lucky day and you leave? Or what if you catch her mischecking a price and she maybe it's supposed to be $5 and she accidentally thought it was $2 and you saw that happen and you thought, oh man, I have just saved myself $3 and you justified why it was okay not to tell her. See, those are sins as well. That can be sin as well. So as believers, we sin, and don't think you do not sin because you are a self-righteous religious person. I've met people like you, people like you met me. They didn't like me too much because I admitted that I sinned, but they didn't sin. And they all the time walk around with this self-righteous look on their face like, well, I won't say what it's like. So do we all sin? Yes. 
And what's the bottom line about that? Well, the bottom line is that sin breaks fellowship with God. See, once we believe in Jesus Christ and we're brought into the royal family of God, we are designed to have fellowship with God on a daily basis. And that is accomplished by the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. It's God the Holy Spirit who indwells us and who seals us and who fills us, according to the Bible. Now, we don't have anything to do with the sealing or the indwelling. That happens the moment we believe in Christ. But we have a lot to do with the filling because we can quench the Holy Spirit and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So we can quench the Holy Spirit where he doesn't fill us. And the way we do that as a Christian is when we sin, we quench the Holy Spirit. And the Christian life ceases to operate at that time. See, the Christian life is a supernatural life. It must be lived in a supernatural way. It's not lived in the energy of the flesh. It's not someone being nice. It's not someone being pleasant. It's not someone being joyful. Those are things that Christians may in fact do. But to live the Christian life, you must fulfill the protocol plan of God. And it starts with the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot, you will not ever be filled with the Holy Spirit with unconfessed sin in your life. And so immediately when you sin, the Bible says you quench the Holy Spirit and you grieve the Holy Spirit. Now you have a choice to make. Now you can continue to act like you did not sin and continue to talk and sound like a holy person Continue to go to church, continue to play the game, or you can admit your sin to God and turn away from it. It's up to you. It's your choice. And no one's perfect. Even though we turn away from it, sometimes we fall back in it. And if we do, we confess it again and we move on. So let's look at the verse that talks about how we solve the dilemma with sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all wrongdoing. And so we start off with a conjunction and uh, its potential if we confess, a potential clause if we confess, we being Christians. And the word confess means to agree with God concerning what we've done. If we confess, if we name, if we cite our sin. So the first thing I want you to remember is that when we sin, the responsibility we have is not to wait until we go to bed at night, not to wait an hour later, excuse me, but to go to God right there and admit the sin immediately. Why is that? Because as a Christian, as soon as you sin, you have quenched the Holy Spirit and thus you've grieved the Holy Spirit as soon as you sinned. You're still in the family of God, but you're out of fellowship with God, and you cannot live the Christian life. You cannot enjoy the benefits of the Christian life. You cannot access the power of the Christian life with unconfessed sin in your life. See, the Bible even says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So here we are trying to pray And we have known sin in our life, and it doesn't work. So the first thing is to deal with the sin. 
to when you sin, whether it's a mental attitude sin or a sin of the tongue or maybe something overtly, go to God and admit the sin. Tell God what you did. That's what the word confess means. Now, it is a subjunctive mood verb, which means, and it's, you know that from the word if. If, if is subjunctive. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But if you will do it, then God said he's faithful and he's just to forgive you and cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. That means that there may be sins you're not even aware of. See, once you sin the first time, and if you do not recover from that sin, you start little chain sinning, and you may commit a hundred sins before you go back and name the first one, before you go back and name the first two or three. But you might not remember the other 90. But God said if you'll name those sins you remember, he'll be faithful and just to cleanse you even from the ones you don't remember. That's how wonderful grace is. God expects you to cite your sin. Why does he expect you to do that? Because you cannot be controlled by the Holy Spirit until you do it. You are mandated to be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. And when you sin, you quench the Holy Spirit. You grieve the Holy Spirit. And remember, you're mandated to be filled. So how do I get back to the filling? I confess my sin. I confess it. It doesn't mean I have to ask him to forgive me for it. He's already said, if you name it, I'll forgive you. It just means I have to admit it and not hide it. A lot of people don't like this because they think, well, does that give me a license to do whatever I want to do? And the answer is no. The Bible says don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. You can't twist the scriptures around to suit your desires, your tendencies. But what it means is God will forgive you if you admit what you did. Psalm 32.5 is the same principle in the Old Testament when David, after an affair with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband Uriah, went to God and admitted his sin and was eventually restored to fellowship. Was there discipline associated with it? Yes, there was. A lot of discipline. But God forgave him and cleansed him. And it's true with us as well. I cannot operate under the filling of the Holy Spirit with known sin in my life. And you cannot operate under the filling of the Holy Spirit with known sin in your life. When the Bible tells us that we are to have joy, do you know that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy? When the Bible tells us we're to love, that's called the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, you can't love anyone using impersonal love without the filling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have the joy that Jesus Christ designed you to possess without the filling of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Christian life doesn't work without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people act like they're Christians, and they may in fact be saved. But if they don't understand the mechanics of the protocol plan of God, 
then they simply wind up doing all the right things in the wrong way. Is it a wrong to go to church? No. Is it wrong to give money to your church? No. Is it wrong to go to Sunday school? No. Is it wrong to pray? No. But there are right ways and wrong ways to do these things. So if you go to church and you have known unconfessed sin in your life, the Holy Spirit is quenched and grieved. So even though you're in the right place doing the right thing, the Holy Spirit cannot do his job, and that is to mentor you because he's been quenched and grieved because of your sin. If you're singing in the choir, is that wrong? No. Do you want to glorify God? Yes. But you can't do it if the Holy Spirit has been quenched and grieved. So you can do all of these things in the energy of the flesh. And that's what you have to remember about the Christian life. A lost person can act like a Christian. And a Christian can act like a lost person. A Christian that uses the energy of the flesh is like the lost man who's trying to approbate God with his good deeds. You can go to church, you can sing in the choir, you can give your money, you can go visit people, but if you are not filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the energy of the flesh. It's the right thing done in the wrong way. Right thing, wrong way, still wrong. Right thing must be done in the right way. And so the right way is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only way is to use problem-solving device number one. Problem-solving device number one, rebound. Rebound. That is problem-solving device number one. We use that term to describe the confession of known sin. So simply put, when you bounce out of fellowship with God by committing a personal sin, something you think, say, or do, then you bounce back by confessing your sin. You rebound. And that's what 1 John 1, 9 is teaching. Most people, you know, it's, it's interesting, but most people understand this basic concept, but they don't realize that it's rebound. I mean, most people know when they sin, they should ask God to forgive them for their sin. But they don't understand that it is the rebound function that places them under the filling of the Holy Spirit. Most people want to wait till they go to bed at night to confess their sin. Now, look, look how ludicrous that can be. What if you sin at 7.32 a.m. in the morning and at 10.32 p.m. at night you admit what you did that morning? Well, all day long you were out of fellowship with God. And if you are out of fellowship with God, who is controlling your life? See, there's only one or two things. Either you're going to operate under the filling of the Holy Spirit or you're going to operate under control of your old sin nature. One of the two. If you're operating under control of your old sin nature, the Bible says you're carnal. If you're operating under control of the filling of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you're spiritual. God wants you to operate under control of the filling of the Holy Spirit every day. That's the only way you can grow up spiritually. It's the only way you can please God. It's the only way you will ever replicate 
the life of Christ, the filling of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it in the energy of the flesh. And the old sin nature can do some pretty good things. People that are not even Christians can go to church. People that are not even Christians can tithe. People that are not even Christians can do a lot of things. But on the day of valuation, the Bible says, that person will say to me, Lord, Lord, in thy name did I not do these things? And he said, I will tell them I never knew you. Depart from me. See, becoming a Christian is faith alone in Christ alone. It's not working our way to heaven. The Bible clearly says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and it's a gift of God, not of works, lest someone should brag about it. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. So, you don't go to heaven because you don't smoke. You don't go to heaven because you don't drink. You don't go to heaven because you don't cuss. You don't go to heaven because you don't do anything. You go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did. The Bible says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. The reason that I can go to heaven or you can go to heaven is because we have received Christ as our Savior. Clearly the Bible says to as many as received him To them, God gave the right to become his children, even to them that just believe in his name. Receiving Christ is as simple as bowing your head and telling God the Father that you are believing that Jesus Christ is his anointed son and you are willing to accept him as your savior. That's you expressing your faith and prayer to God. And if you do that, if you simply bow your head and pray, God will honor that prayer. The Bible clearly says we don't know what to pray for as we should sometimes, but the Spirit of God intercedes for us in prayer. Romans 8. And if you are not a Christian, he will help you pray now. You can pray, and you can tell God that you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior in your own words because of what Christ has done for you already. He's already satisfied the justice of God. He's already paid the penalty for our sin, and he offers you a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, and it starts the moment you believe in him. So if you want to be a Christian, it starts with believing in Christ and receiving Christ. And then as a Christian, you grow. You grow to replicate the life of Christ, and then you leave and you go to heaven to be with Christ. What a marvelous thing to have that sort of destiny and to be empowered with that sort of power while we're here in time. And that's why Paul said it's no longer I, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I hope this is making sense. It is a little repetition, a little review. Keep it in mind. Cannot live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh You must rebound when you sin, recover from your sin, and regain the filling of the Holy Spirit so that ultimately you can advance and glorify God to the maximum. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Flotline. 
you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.